0: So, Ben Haas. I'm here with Ben Haas today. I, I'm i really giving me goosebumps here, see? Because <laughs> uh, uh, we're talking about communication through uh, social media for our side art hustles, what mm-hmm. we do on the side. Not necessarily our 9-to-5 uh, job, right. but our side art. And you write all the time. And uh, so, and you, uh, you're in New York City. I'm in New York City, and you're a professor in New York I City. I am indeed. And uh, so, you work with college students. I do. So, uh, and you teach communication, mm-hmm. and you live it. But so, I want I want to hear about. You were in Japan, mm-hmm. and you did. Uh, communication through social media. Right. For an organization, whatever, what, right? Yeah, F- yeah. Somewhere along those lines. Absolutely. But will you uh, be so kind as to give us a little bit about your field in communication and your association with? Sure. With uh, so, uh, social media?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm Benjamin Haas. Uh, I have a PhD in communication studies from Louisiana State University. Uh, I had an emphasis in performance studies. I wrote about folk punk music. Uh, now I teach classes in gender and communication and, and introduction to public speaking and uh, interpersonal communication and a variety of sort of courses right now. Really? Um, i don't have any side hustles that actively make me any money uh, uh, but I do have a lot of hobbies and I have a lot of a lot of things that i that I in some ways try to actively pursue not for their economic benefits but because I think that they make me happy they yeah. fulfill me in a variety of kinds of ways. I think that they you know sometimes assist other people or sometimes are kind of activist projects that i'm I'm interested in taking on to kind of work on the world in a variety of ways and so um I I've been doing a variety of kinds of environmental activism organizing sort of work since I was a little kid in some ways, uh, and so yeah. In the in the winter between, like, sort of as two thousand fourteen became two thousand fifteen over sort of the winter break between semesters, I went to Taiji, Japan, um, with the Sea Shepherd Conservation Society, and um, was there to document the killing of. Uh, cetaceans or small whales and dolphins in the Cove that was sort of made famous by the 2008 uh, Academy Award winning documentary, The Cove. Yes. Uh, and so I went to the same place uh, because that uh, killing of dolphins continues to this day um, and worked on a campaign that attempted to increase the media attention, the public knowledge to kind of, it was a conscious ra- consciousness raising activity where we took photos and did live stream video I narrated a bunch of those live stream videos. Uh, I, like I said, took a bunch of photographs while I was there, and we would then use social media to to try to get people to see the photos and be horrified and to
0: and and you sent you sent these photos to and and these art did you write the articles I wrote some of the articles so oh, I wrote. I'll, I'll, it was to, kind of a to co- to, um, to newspapers
1: so, and yeah, so we sent press releases to uh several sort of international newspapers, so some in New York City, um, some in Japan to try to sort of like um, cause stir in Japan. Uh, I think we had a, an article or two appear in German and, and Austrian newspapers, and so we had kind of you know like lots of people that work in PR or advertising you have a media list yes. Uh, yes. and you have kind of a stock format of a, of a of a press release that you write. And so anytime something big would happen. so one of the big things that happened while I was there um, is we got photographs of um, someone butchering a a dolphin carcass like out in the open. Um, And so that almost never happens, right? Like they do everything kind of behind closed doors and and to keep it secret so that people don't see these sort of majestic animals that, that people are obsessed with sort of being, having their bodies cut apart, and so, um, with a really big telescopic lens, uh, I happened to catch them, uh, one day cutting up these dolphin steaks, and sort of passing them out to the fishermen to sort of take home, and so you'd see them sort of, the knife swing, and you got photographs of them sort of picking up the meat, and putting it in coolers or in bags, and then sort of taking off to their trucks to go home at the end of the day, and so...
0: You're also a photographer? Well, I mean... uh,
1: my father was a photographer. Uh, yes. Growing up, and so you know, like, there are various times that you know our bathroom would be a dark room, and so I've been around photography yes. a lot in my life. I don't think I really would have called myself a photographer, but I went to Japan. I bought it. I bought a digital camera, bought a big lens, and 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 that thing just basically for this project. Took one class before I went, and then but then I went and took thirty five thousand photographs in the course of six weeks, and so afterwards Jeez. I kind of. Started thinking of myself as a photographer, um, just because you take that many photos, and I, I don't know how many right. Like you write one poem, and we say you become a poet, and so I think thirty five thousand photographs probably maybe gets you into the category of photographer. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I think so.
0: But I don't know how, that... how did you how did you take communication and say, hmm, uh, I'm going to use social media mm-hmm. for this to get this out. Sure. And how did you start? And you started. Social media with this project, when? I mean... 2014, did you So say? that was
1: in 2014. I mean, you know, I'm in that generation of college students that... I think it was finals week of my junior year of college, like, Facebook came to campus. Mm-hmm. Uh, and <laughs> so we got invited, and so then everyone became everyone's Facebook friend. Uh, right. And we all did badly on our finals that year, because uh, we spent more time sort of, like, finding out what this Facebook thing was uh, than we did about final exams. And so there was... You know, I was kind of at all the right moments to sort of pick up social media accounts or social media
0: platforms kind of as they came out. Um, I I still don't... You're you're good at it because you were, you know, helping me with my social media platforms. You're good at it. Is that when it first hit you that this is a good way to communicate my side art hustle, my thing that I want to get out there, this information about dolphins in Japan? I mean, I think...
1: I think when i when I think about my sort of awareness that that social media is an effective tool of social change, and so yeah. if I think about if social change or activism or something is like maybe what I 'm thinking about, my side hustle being in this moment um I think it's hard not to think about 2011, right, and Occupy Wall Street, and it's sort of focus on using social media um, as an organizing tool to sort of spread its message, to mm-hmm. talk about the Arab Spring, um, particularly in Tunisia, right, like where it sort of begins and, and you've got all of the work that happens online, uh, the sort of focus on talking about Twitter and its ability to sort of uh, connect people in those places, um, and not without problems, right, like, um, Egypt definitely, like, didn't magically get good because Twitter was in Tahrir Square, right? And so I think that that definitely, like, opened a door in my mind to thinking about what can the role of social media be to communicate world-changing ideas, right? How can we share ideas to everyday people to take academic ideas to take, activist ideas to take, um... You know, in some ways, I took pictures of really horrible things in in Taiji, and so to think about how looking at terrible images of what I felt like was animal abuse or what I felt like was um maltreatment of of one of the most majestic species on the planet um and share those images in the hopes that people would look at them and care uh that the hopes that people would sort of be able to put pressure on the Japanese government to put pressure on the American government to put pressure on the Japanese government to try to ask them to change these policies mm-hmm. to change the way in which um, this event this activity this this thing in the world occurs or is happening
0: you're a communication person yeah did did you have to communicate differently or more uniquely than others with this particular side art thing did did you uh, did you study oh i'll i'll communicate a little differently or did you say "Hmm, i'm going to communicate with visuals uh, a little bit of, of audio words sure. uh, did you think about your communication skills i thought about it a
1: lot right like um the the Sea Shepherd Conservation Organization has been sort of taking on Japan in a variety of ways for a variety of years, um, particularly over their practices of whaling uh, and and their, um, the killing of dolphins and and a variety of kind of sea practices that they engage with. Um, One of the things that, I don't work with Sea Shepherd anymore, um, and one of the things that I think was kind of a rift or a, a a difficulty that we had um, was some of the ways in which they talked about the, the fisher people, right? Like the whalers, right? Like there's um, a tendency for the rhetoric in conflict to revert to kind of really problematic tropes, right? To sort of talk about practices being quote-unquote savage, right? Mm-hmm. Or to sort of talk about um, things being barbaric, or to talk about um, these terms when you're asking people to care about dolphins, but you're sort of simultaneously, if you use the wrong kinds of communication, if you slip into the the tropes, right, then you dehumanize the the people. And so you create this kind of enemy saint kind of structure between, like, you're the good people and, and we all want to be good and they're terrible, bad people. And so one of the things that I tried really hard to do while I was there, and and I did it, in a variety of ways, for better or worse, you know, I for sure wasn't perfect at it, and and the organization for sure hasn't been perfect at it in in those kinds of ways, Um, is to really think about how can we critique, criticize, challenge those practices without having to sort of vilify the people that are just working class fisher people, right? That are just people that are trying to, that this is the industry of their village, uh, that this is the job that their great-grandfather and their great yes. and grandfather and father and right had. And so, and I don't want to let them off the hook because I, I don't entirely agree with all the choices that they've made, mm-hmm. but there are, in, are ways in which um, I do want us to sort of think about how we talk about them. And how can we recognize their dignity, especially when we're asking the world to see the dignity and the value and the sentience and the intelligence and the beauty of the dolphins? And so how do we, how do, we do that mm-hmm. without sort of destroying the people that we have a disagreement with?
0: And without destroying them with your communication. With my
1: particular participation in that. Um, and so how do I take pictures of them? And how do I... Um, Talk about them on the live stream, and how do I describe what 's going mm. on without you know sounding like a, a a narrator of a Louis Lamour novel talking about yes. the sort of like cowboys in the black hats yes. right or something right, and yes. so how do I sort of develop a strategy to to focus our attention on the dolphins right and to get people to care about that as opposed to vilifying the some other group of people um and i think that that's that's where in some ways i think being a communication scholar really paid off right it it allowed me to sort of think about how we shaped messages how we wrote press releases how we um when we took pictures and we captioned them how we could caption them in a way that sort of really offered a point of view offered a a what i think at times was a damning critique of the things that we were witnessing Mm -hmm. um but simultaneously didn't make it the particular person doing it's entire blame, right? Like that it is a, it is a governmental, it is a police-protected, a, police protected, a, a mm-hmm. legally sanctioned uh, set of actions, set of killings, set yeah. of behaviors, right? And so I think as a communication scholar, really thinking about well, what's appealing, what, what actually might help us speak to people that would make them care about that action in the world. And, and so, speaking and caring
0: or should be right there uh, together. Absolutely. Do you you consider yourself in in this field of communication, this huge field, a performer or uh, a a wordsmith Mm -hmm. or video person, audio person? Uh, You're a communicator, Mm -hmm. and you write. Sure. Is writing your... Primary communication tool right now. So I don't think so. Um, in mm-hmm. some ways, I would say I
1: think uh, like oral communication oral. or talking or yeah. is probably my favorite thing to do. Yeah. Um, writing for me even often begins with me standing in my office and walking around and talking uh, and recording that talking, uh, and then having either a computer program badly. Try to transcribe that, or me trying to go through and transcribe that audio um what 's the best transcribe
0: app Do i you know?
1: i don 't actually know i yeah. mean i've tried the dragon dictate one i've tried the apple uh, like, built into the the OSX sort of right. Apple one. Uh, the Windows one I know is bad. Uh, <laughs> I've tried to use the, like, secret one in YouTube that is, like, designed yeah. to do uh closed captioning um, as, like, a free option. And it's okay. Um, they're all just sort of okay. And I think part of the thing I struggle with is that a lot of the times the stuff I'm working on are relatively academic, and so there are these kind of, like, idiosyncratic or academic or ivory towery kind of words sometimes, and yeah. it, it just yeah. loses its mind trying yeah. to... So you
0: haven't found one.
1: I haven't found one that really works for me, and so more often than not I, I just record the audio and then end up typing my own Transcription someday that I, takes that
0: takes a long time it
1: does and and someday maybe I'll pay someone to do it but uh, <laughs> but up to this point in my career I I'm not writing enough that it it makes a huge difference um,
0: but I think and but your, and your performance uh, yeah performance so gla- uh, classes
1: and, as a, as a performance scholar I think one of the things that I think about a lot is the and I think this is also part of the reason that I think that that oral communication is my the mode the genre the thing that i'm most comfortable in is because it's an embodied practice right that it is it is also about how my body moves that um you know i was a student oh, who couldn't sit still in class i didn't like being stuck in a chair um i am happiest like walking quickly uh probably in the woods, but still like moving as though it is like a New York City street uh, would probably be my, I used to say that shoveling is my happy place, but I think that walking in the woods might be a happy place in those ways. And so, you know, in those ways I think that oral communication for me is a is a whole body experience. I don't, you know, you can't see this, but my hands are flailing around <laughs> and I don't, you know, I'm moving my feet and yeah. uh, we're near standing at various moments. And so I think that for me there's that. Um, though the other thing I would add, to the conversation, right, is I also think that the 21st century has dissolved a lot of those distinctions, right? That um, what digital technologies have, have presented us with is a world where people learn... By watching videos all of the time. And and that's really a combination of of visual learning, you know, maybe reading closed captionings and and, and descriptions and comments, of of listening uh, to people sort of narrate information, right? If we think about a, a makeup tutorial, right? Um so something super simple on on YouTube or, or some video platform, right? Like you watch the person, you you they put the makeup on, they use the technique, they show you the product, right? Then you go and read more reviews of that thing and decide if it's actually the one you want to buy. Um, you, uh, then with your own body, like buy it and try to recreate that whipped eyeliner or whatever the thing is. Right. And, and sometimes we do it well and sometimes we do it badly. Um, I mean, I think that's why people love that, um, that Netflix show where, uh, Oh, uh, it's like where the baking is bad. Uh, Oh, nailed it! Right where where they show them like a really fancy cake, uh, and then they ask people who aren't good at baking to try to make it, and they always like pull the lid off and they go nailed it Um, because they're bad at it, right? And and there's a really there's a joy in watching other people kind of like look at an example and try it and be bad at it, and I think that that's that in some ways is because it is so much tied to the way in which we learn now, right? Um, I wanted to learn how to play the banjo, and so I started watching YouTube videos about how people play the banjo. And so, I mean, I never really got very good at playing the banjo, right? But I watched people that were really good, and then I watched lessons, and I sort of, like, plunked around, and I got good enough to sort of do what I needed to do on the banjo. But um, I didn't become Steve Martin uh, (laughs) in those ways, you know? And so I think that that's that's a familiar ground to us. And so I think, in, in some ways, what I'm saying is I think that, you know, for an activist cause, for um, getting people involved in ideas, for you know, to be a professor, to be a teacher, right? Like I'm, I'm always kind of thinking about like, how can I get people to care about this thing that I care about? How can I show them that this yes. applies to their life? How can I, how can I make you as excited about this thing as I am? Um, and what I think the answer is a lot of the time is is that you don't know. And so what we do is we we smash a lot of modes of communication into smaller packages as possible, right? And so we put visuals along with that thing, you know, like imagine when was the last time you saw a lecture without a PowerPoint uh, or mm-hmm. without like some kind of visual sort of yes. thing happening, even if it's just, you know, the dark stage with the single spotlight and the podium to like sort of make an academic lecture look mm-hmm. serious or rigorous mm-hmm. or sort of established. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we, we want people to sound in particular kinds of ways, right? Like, um, if if Martin Luther King had delivered I Have a Dream in a monotone voice, I don't think that we would still talk about it yes. as the greatest speech of the 20th century, right. um, or maybe up to this point in human history, depending on who you ask in those ways, right? Um, it also probably wouldn't be the same if he hadn't been called upon to ad-lib it, right? And so there's also this way in which the presentation, the performance, the the ways in which that communication occurs um, is is essential, and so we have visuals, we have the the energy, the passion, the 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 deep bellowing voice of of MLK in that speech, right? Like when we talk of the red dirt of Georgia, right? Like we sort of get that that sort of thing. Um, and we're also, and so, and we also get the, like, the listening, right? Like, he has to be listening to the audience to hear that call-out, be like, tell him about the dream, Martin, you know? Like, all of that part of the story is also, I think, essential. And so communication today about social issues in this way, for me, I think, is often about combining all those modes. It's about being able to take pictures. It's being able to write. It's being able to talk about it. It's being able to sort of kind of be a Swiss army knife uh, in order to sort of Speak to a variety of different kind of audiences who want all sorts of
0: things from speakers. Do you today. need to know this, the art of communication, now, in order to win? Um. To some degree, right? I think you have
1: to. You have to be thinking about audiences, right? You have to be thinking about. Um, I think you have to be thinking about what it is you want an audience to walk away with, right? Like you think about first what you want to say, right? What is the most important idea? If you get to communicate one thing, what is it? How many ways can you say that? Right. Um, I ask students all the time, like, what's your favorite song? And then I say, okay, um, can you sing me the chorus? And they can always sing me the chorus. Mm-hmm. All right. What's the second line of the third verse? Very few students can tell me what the second line of the third verse is, right? Because repetition uh, in that mode of communication, like, helps them understand and helps them remember the thing. And so when I'm communicating, one of the things, and one of the things I think about these multi-modes and why the multimodalness of communication is essential, right, is because it, it does the chorus thing. It, it repeats that message in a variety of ways, and we've learned from learning styles and all those kinds of things that there's a variety of ways in which that can work my only hesitation to say, yes, you have to be an expert at communication to sort of be able to speak to audiences, um, or to win, uh, is that I think that punk rock and hip hop, right? As these genres, as these sort of do it yourself or do it together kind of methodologies of communicating ideas about what it's like to be young or disenfranchised or, uh, dispossessed of the world in in a certain kind of way. I don't think that all those people were scholars of communication in a kind of formalized sense, but did give us some of the most lucid descriptions of the 20th century, right? Um, In describing what it was like to be a member of those communities,
0: to be in those places at those times, because those... You're able to describe that. You're able to give that. Right in your communication to connect to get people to care. Absolutely. And there is a an art mm-hmm.
1: to that. Absolutely.
0: Oh, okay. And and what I'm saying I guess is that like
1: I need to be an expert in communication sometimes to see that, right? To be able to go back and describe that thing. Mm-hmm. I don't think that every MC uh in the 70s doing doing the beginnings of hip hop necessarily were like well, I will create the rhetorical situation, right? Like, And and in order to, you know, they were like, I want people to dance, uh, and Mm -hmm. I want to express myself, and I have things that I need to say. And so I want to leave a little bit of room for the ways in which passion sort of overwhelms expertise, right? The ways in which sort of like, if you're speaking... Passion
0: overwhelms expertise. I think it
1: totally can, right? Like, I think it is far more important to say the true thing
0: than it is to say the polished thing. Uh, right? And and so... So communi- wait. Com- so communication as a whole, it does not matter if you have passion? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying that,
1: right, because punk rock and, and hip hop, I-, I link those two because I think they're an interesting comparison, right? But they are also, like, specific styles of communication. So mm-hmm. um, I'm not saying that you can just scream and it just, like, fix everything, right? But that there is a way in which I do think that you can be the most professional or or articulate or polished speaker in the world, and if you're not saying anything, it still doesn't matter, right? And so there has to be some kind of balance between those two things, right? Like Because the best MCs were both the most passionate but they were also the most skilled poets right the best punk rock songwriters right weren't just the angriest they were the angriest who then were also able to sort of translate that anger into a message that people could get behind and dance to and be excited by right and so but i think they have to work together but i don't think that there's any i don't necessarily believe that there's like only one way to communicate those things Right, there's not just one thing that is the right. Um, I think that every moment presents itself to us in a way that is complicated. How do you learn to get better? You practice. You fail. You make experiments. Uh, I think if there is a crime of, of humanity today, right, it is that we don't encourage enough people. To take risks that actually are risks, right? We we teach science classes today where students can't ever fail a test. Yes. Right? The scientific method says that 90-plus percent of your experiments should fail. And so we don't even uphold the scientific method when we're teaching people how to do science, right? And so how can we... um, teach communication to people if we don't give them the the space to mess up to to try something out and it not work uh and so we have to find a way i think to to get better is to practice to take big risks to to believe wholeheartedly in things um to try to share that with other people um now it might make sense to to do some of those experiments in front of small groups uh, first, uh, <laughs> first, right? Like, to, to try stuff out on our family and friends, right? Like, But people that will give us real feedback yeah, and yeah. tell us when we're we're not making sense or tell us that, like, they can't get behind this or, or whatever that thing is um, before they go in front of yeah, giant true. audiences and try to fail, right, and take big risks. But I still think that when you get that big audience, if you aren't pushing your comfort bounds, if you aren't pushing the genre in certain kinds of ways, if you aren't, aren't testing things out, then there's probably more to be done there. There's probably more that you could be doing in that space. And, 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 and I think that's what I mean about passion overwhelming is that it has to be the force that sort of drives that, that creativity.
0: I, I, I know, cause I know you, you, you said, I said 15 minutes and, and I know you got to run, but uh, how, how can people get in touch with you about Communication, and uh, so is there some place where, and and I know sometimes you give out telephone numbers. Don't give. I won't. I won't give my telephone number. But how can people? Hey there, moving your energy differently community. If you feel you got some practical insights and achievement strategies from listening to this podcast, I would be over the top grateful if you would. Go to my Twitter handle, at Kerry Ruff, and leave a comment. I thank you so very much. You have made my day, uh, my year. (laughs) Thank you very much. Hi, I'm Kerry Ruff, and welcome to Moving Your Energy Differently. Now, I'm an author, lecturer, and an expert in organizational energy. I help individuals and organizations of all kinds, corporate, academic. I help them to elevate their level of energy and improve their focus on key objectives. Now, I've brought together a unique set of tools into a discipline I like to call physical communication technology which reflects more than two decades of work to establish the link between one's ability to mobilize physical energy and greater achievement. Now, I'm the founder of the New York City-based Success Conference, which for close to 10 years has attracted today's leading speakers on personal development. Now, over the next few weeks, I'm going to be interviewing some of these personal development leaders, these influencers, to give you some strategies and tips on how to move your daily life differently and with more energy. So I hope you enjoy it, and you can always contact me at carryruff.com. K-E-R-R-Y-R-U-F-F as in Frank Frank dot com. All right, I hope to meet you or see you sometime soon. Thank you.